everyone. How are you doing? Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you listening. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. John Gilmore, thank you for making me laugh out loud during the news. And I will encourage everyone, you know John Gilmore, he fills in for me. Uh, thank you, John, uh, for those times that you fill in. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, he writes for Alpha News. He has an amazing blog. Um, he's just wicked funny. And he follows the most interesting people on Twitter. And during the news break, I was looking at Twitter. And John Gilmore retweeted the Bradford file. And it, are you ready for this, Stan? It's a joke. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez walk into a bar. The bartender. Someone has to pay. Get it? <laughs> oh, I laughed out loud. Thank you, John Gilmore, for that day brightener. Yeah, and that have, I mean, seriously, you should follow him on Twitter or talk to him or have him text you because some of our conversations could make for some interesting radio, too. Anyway, I want to talk about some local issues now. You know, local politicians were supposed to be the politicians who touch the closest part of your life, that you want to live in a neighborhood that has good schools, that has uh, roads without potholes on it, and that has parks and recs and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And things have just gone crazy. And the local politicians have become activists. And, and a lot of them have been endorsed by, most of them have been endorsed by the Democrats. And they're no longer just looking out for you and your community, they actually have a political agenda. And I, so I try to feature a few of these every week, and I try to pick the highlights or lowlights, depending on whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's so many of them that I can never get to them all. So I've picked, uh, I've picked enough to fill pretty much this whole, ne this whole hour. But I wanted to tell you, there were some stories that I could have spent the whole hour on alone. One of them is the University of Minnesota story that came out. He, she, and Z, pronouns that could pose trouble for the U of M, uh, that could pose trouble for the U of M policy uh, on pronouns. That is just, that is crazy. That is insane, insane. That is so ridiculous that the University of Minnesota would think that they could have compelled speech. It is just absolutely astonishing. And folks, if we don't shut this stuff down, it's just going to continue to spiral out of control. So the Uni University of Minnesota has once again come under negative scrutiny for floating a draft policy that formally recognizes the alphabet soup of gender identity and worse, here's the, here's the worst part, threatens punishment for any student or employee who refuses to do the same. University members and, and units are expected to use the names, gender identities, and pronouns specified to them by university members. Violation of this provision of the policy could constitute discrimination or harassment based on gender identity or gender expression. Discrimination or harassment based on gender identity or gender expression may result in appropriate responsive action, including, but not limited to, disciplinary action up to and including termination from employment and the academic sanctions up to and including academic expulsion. 
That is absolutely crazy. And and you have got to put a you know we we know college students today are in an, uh, uh, an environment that's hostile to a free society. You can't make people call you something. You just can't. And the university seems to think seems to think that they can. So this is just absolutely crazy. And I'll take this one step further too because we had the same story not too long ago. And again, I could have spent an hour on it, but I think I just touched on it which was the drag queens in the in the public library this was from i think the second week in in july so you can go back and read about it and people you're foolish if you think that that this is about books or reading or accepting people are different you look at the pictures they had of the drag queens reading the books to the children and they it screamed it screamed out there look at me look at me look at me and you got a city that can't afford to hire cops that can't fix uh, the potholes that won't put on a fireworks show. But you know what? They have the money to put drag queens reading to children in a library. And nowhere, nowhere can I find out how much that cost. Nowhere can I find out how much that cost. It's just shame on you, St. Paul. Shame on you. Just absolutely ridiculous. That's not not normal, kids. And where are the parents? The parents are the ones who are supposed to be protecting their children. We also talked just a little bit in the last hour how San Francisco had started illegal alien voter registrations for local elections. I want to point out to you guys, again, the left has lied to us for years, lied to us for years. They denied that they wanted illegal aliens to vote. And now all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we do want illegal aliens to vote. We're not even hiding it anymore. We're not even hiding it. If you want to see a direct threat against our democracy, it's allowing people who shouldn't be voting to vote. It's just absolutely crazy. And any of those things, I honestly could have spent a whole entire hour on it. And you know what? Coming up, maybe maybe we will spend more time on it. But now there are just so many stupid things out here that I, I just can't can't hardly stand it. Baltimore. Baltimore is on my list. A city ordinance took effect this week that forces restaurants to join the fight against childhood obesity. The new Baltimore ordinance bans sugary drinks such as soda from all children's menus in restaurants. You know what I would do if I was a restaurant owner? I'd get rid of my kids' menu. I'd just get rid of my kids' menu. Yeah, but then you'd be uh, discriminating against nope. people that have Abs- children. Absolutely not. They can order off the regular menu. Oh, and we'll have a little baby they version over here. Way. But yeah, they would. I know they would. I owned a restaurant. They order off the big menu all the time. Uh, according to the press release for Baltimore Health Department, water, milk, and 100% fruit juice are now the default beverage options for kids' meals. The ordinance was signed into law in April. It took effect on Wednesday. Some smaller cities have a stupid law like this, too. But Baltimore is believed to be the first major city in the United States to regulate beverage options offered to kids. Is that the role of government, Stan? Really? Is that the role of government? Do you want I government that's telling why they you? I called them parents. Yeah. <laughs> they... So they could decide what was healthy or not for their kids. That's the crazy thing. They want a government. These politicians want to be our mommy and daddy. They think they're the ones who are going to get to tell us what they get to do. One of the um, one of the oh, the Baltimore Health Commissioner, Lena Wen, 
said, uh, the science is clear. Uh, the science is clear. One of the biggest, where have we heard that line before? One of the biggest contributors to childhood obesity is sugary drinks, and childhood obesity is a major risk factor for diabetes, heart disease, and early death. The health department says one in three school aged children in Baltimore is overweight and obese. She said, this law will help families, help families, help, air quotes, air quotes, help families make the healthy choice the easy choice. The ordinance does not prohibit children from drinking sugar-sweetened beverages in the restaurants. They can still get soda, but their parents will have to pay a little more since the drinks won't be included on the kids' meals. Any restaurant that that doesn't follow the law, the law gets a $100 fine. A $100 fine. That is just absolutely crazy. But you know what? That's not good enough. That's not good enough for the health Nazis. Some public health experts say the ordinance does not go far enough. Claire Wang, an associate professor at Columbia University School of Mailman School of Public Health, notes that fruit juices, which the city says can still appear on kids' menus, can contain just as many calories as soda. While the law is a step towards the right direction, some juices, such as apple juice, in fact have been used as a sweetener and it contains a lot of sugar. And yeah, they shouldn't be drinking that. Is that crazy? Is that crazy or what? What is wrong with these people? Oh, and you know what? It um, Philadelphia, do you remember Philadelphia? Philadelphia passed a very regressive tax on, on uh, soda pop. And it's hurt the businesses in Philly, the uh, restaurants, the convenience stores, um, a, a, a lot of them. And so the restaurant, the hospitality industry sued, and the state Supreme Court refused to overturn it. They said it's the legislator's job to overrule it. And, and it, it's so crazy. You actually had um, a, one of the Philadelphia city council members say, I don't like a regressive tax. I don't like it billed as a regressive tax. In reality, it's helping the poor. You're not taxing. No, you're taxing the poor to help themselves. So we got to tax the snot out of your pop because we're trying to help you. Ah, drives me crazy. Drives me absolutely crazy. Okay, lots more coming. You're not going to believe Thief River Falls. Two of their city council members got into a brawl, and one of them threw a chair at the other one. Out of control. Crazy. Stay tuned. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Rush Limbaugh. I'm going to get there. Weekday mornings at 11. We start gradually and build up here. I don't want to start with the crescendo. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and 103.5 FM. Hey, honey, did you check the mail? Yeah, let's see. Bills, bills, wedding invite from Jim at work, start marriage. Oh, look, Valpac's here. Hey, we just won $100. Oh, my gosh, that's awesome. So awesome. Look inside your Valpac envelope, and there may be a $100 check inside. No strings attached. 100 bucks right inside your Valpac, just for opening, plus other great savings for dining, entertainment, and shopping local in your neighborhood. Who knew saving money with Valpac could mean winning money, too? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Odds of winning are 1 in 50,000. One eight. 
Okay, pickup is quick and easy. You'll also get a vacation voucher and maximum tax deduction. Also accepting boats, motorcycles, RVs, and real estate donations. Hey, it's Drew here for the Good Feet Store. Look, I've been suffering from foot pain for well over a year now. I went on vacation last year. I did a ton of walking and ended up with this severe foot pain on the outside of my foot, and it made it really difficult to do the things I want to do. I went to the Good Feet Store, and I tried their Good Feet Arch Support System. Let me tell you, I noticed the difference immediately. I saw immediate relief from my foot pain, and it's just gotten better day by day by day. So now I don't mind those trips to the mall or those long walks with the family, and I want the same for you. If you're suffering from any sort of foot, back, knee, or hip pain, you need to go to the Good Feet Store. Try their arch support system. They've got three convenient locations around the metro area. I went to the one in Bloomington, but they've also got one in Maple Grove and one in Maplewood. You're going to walk in with pain and walk out within 40 minutes pain-free. Give them a call today, 855-554-3338, to get your no-obligation fitting. You can look forward to 80 to 100% pain relief. The Good Feet Store, it worked for me, and it will work for you. You've got nothing to lose but that nagging pain iHeartRadio is the easy to use app for music and radio download the free iHeartRadio app today good Saturday afternoon everyone thank you for tuning in I'm Sue Jeffers okay so I don't know what's going on in Thief River Falls but holy cow So two council members from Thief River Falls have been charged with assault after a committee meeting descended into a brawl. They had a disagreement over a splash park project at an administrative services committee meeting on July 10th. Council member Josh Hagan, 38, had earlier in the evening gotten into an argument about the project with another council member, Curtis Howe. Um, Curtis, uh, the Curtis Howe and and then proceeded to take a couple of shots at Howe during the medium meeting. The 73 year old counselor, Gerald Brown, who said he didn't want to hear any more of Hagen's snide remarks, told him to shut up saying, I'm sick and tired of you. The criminal complaint says he then told Hagen, I'm going to, this is a 73-year-old, I'm going to take you outside. Let's go. I mean, can't you just picture it? They then... (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I can kind of picture it. It's so sad. I know. I can so totally picture it. They fronted up to each other, engaging in a shoving match before Brown picked up a chair to defend himself. Um, but eventually he threw it at Hagen. The bear ended up on the floor. I'm picturing like the scene from, uh, oh, what's that movie, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, where the brothers are in a fight and they're like <laughs> slapping each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the pair ended up on the floor with Hagen on top. A witness telling the police Hagen was pounding on Brown's head as hard as he could and saw Hagen kicking Brown in the face. Okay, that, yeah, that, that's not good. Uh, Hagen later told the police that he thought Brown grabbing and throwing the chair was a serious threat. The only reason he continued to hit Brown was so he'd let go of his legs. <laughs> I can just picture this. It's just, oh my gosh. 
The witnesses stated that both Hagen and Brown could have avoided this alter altercation and were acting like two children on the schoolyard. That's actually written in the criminal complaint. Uh, the Thief River Falls Times reports that Hagen, the Ward 3 council member, uh, remember uh, Hagen's the 38-year-old, resigned from his position at the next council meeting, giving a statement in which he accused the mayor, Brian Homer, of allowing the personal attack to happen. Both Hagen and Brown sustained minor injuries. Brown was charged with disorderly conduct and Hagen had been charged with fifth-degree assault. That is just crazy. That is just absolutely crazy. Okay, Victoria. Who lives out in Victoria? Are you paying attention, Victoria? Because your city, your city council and mayor had 38 open meeting violations, and for some crazy reason, that was not enough to kick the Victoria officials out of office. That is outrageous that is a state law and let me tell you something legislators i know there's a bunch of you listening i know there is and you better do something to change this because this goes there's no way no way that the citizens of these small or big cities should have to sue their mayor and their city council that they should have to hire lawyers and go to court over and over and over and over again because the mayors and the city council have exceeded their authority there's just no way. And this is so ridiculous. In 2014, 13 Victoria residents filed suit against four people they believed who had been doing backdoor deals with their money. Mayor Thomas O'Connor, City Council members James Crowley, Lana Besa, and Thomas Striegel. I don't know who these people are, but I know if they're in office, they know what an open meeting law is. They know what it is. So they had the these 13 Victoria residents. They'd seen the officials doing it again and again, closing meetings without mentioning that they what they'd be discussing behind closed doors. Record work requests found the emails between the officials discussing property acquisitions, cost, construction for a new city hall, public works building, and a library, all to be paid for by the tax or taxpayers and all discussed outside of the public eye. In 2016, Carver County Judge Janet Bark Kane, okay, look that up for me, Stan, look that up for me. Uh, Carver County Judge Janet Bark Kane, I want to know who got her, who made her, the county judge, slapped the four with a combined 38 intentional open meeting law violations. 38. 38 open meeting law violations. No excuse. Absolutely no excuse. Six for Besa, 10 for Striegel, 11 for Crowley and O'Connor. The defendants claimed that they didn't know what they'd be been doing was against the law. The judge knew they were lying. The defendants, the judge wrote, the defendants profess their ignorance of the open meeting law to a degree that this court finds shameful with regard to their duty to public office. The residents believed that the willful violation would be enough to boot the officials from office, but Judge Kane said, no way. Listen to this. According to the Minnesota statute, Forfeiture of office requires they be found to have intentionally violated the same law 
in three or more actions, even though they had each had way more than three violations, they'd only been tried for it once. So technically, this only counted as one strike. The residents appealed four years after they were after they had originally sued. Four years. These residents have had to raise money, go to court, pay for lawyers, handle all the stress. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And four years after they originally sued, the case finally made it to the Minnesota Supreme Court. On Wednesday, the justices aren't, let me think about this, six out of seven are Dayton appointees. The justices voted against the removal, 38 violations or not. Stregel, Besa, and O'Connor didn't respond for requests. Crowley declined. This is, that's, that's shameful. And Victoria, why are these people still in office? Why haven't you thrown the bums out? Throw the bums out. Crazy, crazy. Okay, so, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, they're on my list every single week. And Minneapolis, it was hard for me because I I really wanted to talk about the Weber Pool boondoggle. That's that so-called natural pool in North Minneapolis that they spent millions and whatever they spent, $10 million on it. And this summer, like last summer, it's been closed more than it's been open because there's uh, too much fecal material and bacteria in this natural pool. And they're, okay, okay, they're shocked. You know why they're shocked? They're shocked because the goose are, geese and ducks are pooping in the pool and they can't keep it at the, at whatever they're supposed to keep it to whatever level they're supposed to have it at for for people to safely safely swim in it it's i mean talk about crazy but no no something something else uh came up that i decided i had to i had to tell you about instead so you know that i owned a bar and restaurant in minneapolis um and you know i fought against the the regulations and the high taxes and the crazy insanity that was going on in Minneapolis. You know that I do business consulting and I tell people all the time, don't locate in Minneapolis. Don't locate in Minneapolis. I still work with businesses who are in in Minneapolis and I still help them try to figure out ways to, to get things done and in a more uh, economical, cost-effective way. Uh, and I think, I, I well, I know I, I do a lot of good, but my number one advice is, don't don't put your business in Minneapolis or St. Paul. Don't don't. And if you can get out of there, just get out because it's they're too uh, business unfriendly, too anti anti business there. So in uh, what year was it? Twenty in two thousand and four. In two thousand and four, the city of Minneapolis passed a grocery store ordinance, and they said, you know what? In grocery stores, you sell too much junk food. So we're going to pass an ordinance and we're going to tell grocery stores that you have to carry more fruit, more vegetable, more uh, healthy food options for people to buy. So this was 2004. Can you guess what happened? Yeah. Restaurants or not restaurants, um, uh, convenience stores, um, small corner grocery stores had to carry a lot of healthy food that people didn't buy and the stores ended up throwing it away and it drove up the costs for everyone. 
and you wonder why a banana at the local store in Minneapolis costs you over a buck where you can get it at Cub for, what, 39 cents? Yeah. Well, the city council decided they could make better decisions than a corner store as to what health, what 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 type of food they should be carrying, and they passed an ordinance that made these stores carry healthy foods. So that was 2004. They upgraded it in 2010. Fast forward to 2018. Councilmember Cam Gordon is reworking what qualifies as a staple food in the city ordinance. Crazy. Insane. Who do these council members think they are? Stay tuned. We'll talk about it when we come back. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Whoa! I just can't believe all these crazy, crazy, crazy stories we have of people, of city council members, of mayors, of of local entities who have absolutely gone crazy. I had 30 years experience in the city of Minneapolis. I had friends, still have friends, who own businesses in St. Paul. I know how bad it is. I know how difficult it is. And I just cannot stress enough how important it is that you pay attention to what's going on in your backyard. Everybody likes to pay attention, uh, especially in these presidential years where who's running for Congress, who's running for Senate, who's running for president, who's running whatever. But but the people in your own backyard, the people in your own backyard are are just exceeding their authority, unbelievably so. And unfortunately, so many, and this is not just limited to Minneapolis and St. Paul, not even just limited to Minnesota. We're seeing it all across the country, which is why I usually pick out some local entities that are doing something crazy uh, from from other areas of the country because you know it's going to come here too. And just like we saw in Philly where the judge said, I'm not going to overturn the soda tax, This the I, I, even though it's regressive, even though we know it hurts people, even though we know it's bad for businesses, um, that's the legislator's job. So legislators... Get off your butt and do something about these crazy things. You've got the city of Minneapolis and St. Paul with their own minimum wage, with their own sick and safe time policies, with their own with their own food staple food ordinance. So uh, Councilmember Cam Gordon is reworking what qualifies as a staple food in the city ordinance. This is a city ordinance that's been there for like 14 years now. And 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 now that now they're going to change it. So 14 years ago, they passed this rule that requires grocery stores to stock. And, and this is even corner markets. This is not just uh, this is convenience stores. This is gas stations. They have to talk stock certain amounts of produce, protein and dairy products to promote a well-rounded diet. Since when is that the business of government and to, to come in and tell a grocery store or, or any business what kind of food they have to stock? This has been updated probably every four or five years now since it was implemented. And every time it's updated, it faces more and more and more criticism. You know what the criticism is this time? They're racist. It's, it's common to American cuisine, not to other, other uh, ethnic um, um, tastes. So you've got eight stores 
and including four small businesses in the university area that have received citations for failing to comply with the staple food ordinance in the last three years. So they decided to hear some feedback, and they said uh, one of the policies that should be, re- should be revised is dairy and egg requirements because you can get a balanced diet without eggs and dairy. Eric Fung, owner of a local Asian grocery store, United Noodles, said he wasn't concerned when he first heard about the ordinance because he said his his business caters to a wider audience than other Asian grocery stores. But after another Asian grocery grocer voiced concern, think about that. Think about that. If they don't get you, then someone else is going to narc on you, and then they're going to come down on you anyway. So this other... Asian grocer said, voiced concern about stocking dairy and said it's not a traditional part of most Asian diets. So Fung said he believed Gordon tried to craft the ordinance in a way that allows for cultural diversity. Oh, isn't that a nice way to say that? Uh, Cultural diversity, but didn't go far enough. He said he'd like to see the language requiring stores to stock cheese and cow's milk removed. He said, ultimately, the aim of the Staples Food Ordinance was to remove food deserts in Minneapolis. Guess what? 14 years later, they're still called Minneapolis a food desert. So how did this ordinance work? Not too well. And on top of that, it's not even culturally diversified. Um, The implementation was that forcing all supermarkets to sell a certain diet that that, that really only pertains to certain people in Minneapolis particularly Caucasians. That's just so unbelievable. You know what? They should throw the whole entire ordinance out. Freedom. Let people decide what they want to eat, what they want to buy. I'm sure these stores are perfectly capable. I know these stores. I talked to some of these stores when this ordinance was implemented in the first place. We talked about how ridiculous it was. We talked about how the city coming in and telling them to put these so-called healthy foods in that nobody wanted to buy, and then they ended up being thrown out. It ended up driving up the cost. And these stores are already a little bit higher because they don't have the room, they don't have the volume that that always goes around it, that that other big grocery stores has. So the the, the city, of course, went to the University of Minnesota and the university researchers created what was called the Staples Food Ordinance Evaluation Study. And they tried to determine whether food environments in Minneapolis are becoming healthy, healthier or not. And they used St. Paul as their control group, whatever. Um, so they firmly believe that stocking healthier food has, has helped, um, but not, not all that much. So their overall opinion was we need a healthier food environment. We need creative and innovative ways of making that happen. So their answer is to pass more of these ridiculous ordinances that will do nothing but cause, well, it'll keep an inspector employed, but it will cost the price of goods and services in these grocery stores and other businesses in Minneapolis uh, to to. Uh, to increase. So guess what, customers? You get to pay more money for all of their stupidness. Drives drives me absolutely crazy. Okay. 
So this week, the Star Tribune published an article about how the NFL asked for a lot of stuff before the Super Bowl came to Minnesota, and Minnesota obliged. And by the way, the state lied to us, and they continue to lie to us. And I want to see, they say those records are secret, and they had their their little shell company that, well, we can't tell you about it because it was, the, you know, someone else handled all these promises and decisions and i give the credits uh i do give the star tribune credit because they in 2014 they published the nfl secret list the 153 page list of demands um and and at the time all we heard all we heard as minnesotans was the local organizers had agreed to a majority of them you know what we found out later on we found out later on with one exception Every single one of them were approved. So you want accountability and transparency. You're the the the, the politicians, the bureaucrats, the city councils, the mayors, and even the nonprofits and private entities do everything they can to keep this information from you. And I have spent quite a bit of time bashing Democrats today, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. You know what? We're going to come up. Did you just tell me to take a break? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. I got a minute. Because rightfully so. I don't like Democrats. I I don't like their policies. Uh, Not them as people. I'm talking about their policies. I think they're destructive. I think they're damaging. I think they want to control and micromanage every single aspect of my life. And that is not what freedom's about. I don't like single payer. I don't like Obamacare. I don't like their climate change. I don't like net neutrality. I don't like taxes. I don't like spending. I don't like abortion. I don't like illegal immigration. I don't like open borders. I don't. Do you want me to keep going? You get you get the idea. But the thing, uh, I'm not going to limit my segment on really, really, really bad ideas to just Democrats, because the one that we're going to talk about next is a Republican. And I like Scott Walker. And I like, um, I like businesses. I like jobs and the economy and all that kind of stuff. But Scott Walker made a horrible mistake. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the Foxconn project. And I talk about accountability and transparency all the time here in Minnesota. And I t- I've told you before that eminent domain was the issue that got me involved in politics in the in the first place. And that I went to bat defending a cement company, of all things. And people were like, really, Sue? Really? You're defending a cement company? And I go, a cement company today because tomorrow it might be my bar and restaurant. And, 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 that, and that's true. So... Scott Walker, it's you, it's you've done a lot of good things over there in Wisconsin. A lot of things that I wish we would do over here in Minnesota. But the Foxconn project isn't one of them. So stay tuned. When we come back, we'll talk about why I'm mad at Scott Walker and why the Foxconn project is a horrible project. Stay tuned. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. There, this is a perfect summer day, and I know Stan's already thinking about uh, fishing later on. <laughs> hey, what's on your show today, Stan? Uh, we have the managing editor from the Outdoor News publication on today, Ooh. so we'll be talking a lot of different things: hunting, fishing, outdoors in general. Excellent, excellent. 
Uh, everybody stay tuned. Stan's show's on right after mine. And then Jamar's on after that. Oh. <laughs> those guys, I like listening to it. I mean, they really get into it, those yeah, two. Pat and Jamar, it, it, it's kind of fun to listen to. It's super fun to listen to. So don't change the dial when I'm off there. Okay. Uh, everybody's heard me talk. Well, if you haven't, you should have. Um, back in 2005, the United States Supreme Court horribly, wrongly uh, ruled on the case Kilo versus New London. Uh, if you haven't read the book, The Little Pink House, you should. Uh, I know I've had Lee McGrath, Institute for Justice, on my show a million times to talk um, about eminent domain, well, to talk about all the great things that the, the Institute for Justice does. But in 2005, the court ruled that a Connecticut city, New London, uh, did not violate the Constitution when it took homes and small businesses by using eminent domain for the benefit of a private development. This is so crazy. It used to be that you could use eminent domain. And, and in the days of old, politicians had respect for property rights. No longer, absolutely no longer. Um, but in 2005, they took away people's land, their businesses, and their homes and, and gave it to a private developer for uh, another development that was supposed to generate jobs and, and tax revenue. So, in other words, eminent domain is supposed to be uh, used to build schools and roads, but no, 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 no. New London scooped up homes and businesses for a Pfizer, Pfizer, is that what, pharmaceutical company, along with condos and a hotel. And honestly, this case, this was a national outrage. People were furious. And like, I want to say 48 or 49 of the other states, in 2006, Wisconsin passed a law that made it harder for the government to use eminent domain for so-called economic development projects. And in fact, Lee McGrath and I fought over this one because when Minnesota passed theirs, I said, there's a loophole in there big enough to drive a Mack truck through because they never gave us the definition of blight and they gave far too long of a grandfather period where you could go ahead and, and still use eminent domain. Um, but in the end, um, all the a bunch of states, which is exactly how it's supposed to happen, by the way, when the Supreme Court makes a horrible decision, the states can come in and do other things to correct or counter that decision. And so, you know, it's supposed to go back to states' rights, so I, I kind of understand that part. Okay, but Wisconsin decided that, you know what, there's, there's Foxconn, and Foxconn, it's an electronics manufacturing plant. And Foxconn wanted to come to... Wisconsin. It wanted to bring thousands of jobs into the area. It was going to cost $4.5 billion in subsidies and tax breaks. The state said if assuming all goes well, it will break even on the deal in 30 years. $4.5 billion. Thanks, Wisconsin taxpayers, for picking up that tab. And it's going to break even in 30 years. What's making people really mad now 
and you're not hearing as much about it, is that the state and the local officials in Wisconsin are using eminent domain to try to get the homeowners off of their property to make way for the new plant. And this cronyism, and oh, yeah, they call it a public-private partnership. Whenever they use the term public-private partnership, no, you as a taxpayer are taking it in the shorts. Uh, it's just their, their taxpayer money is being used to, to advance private business interest, interests that don't that aren't good for the aren't necessarily good for for the taxpayers. So this is just this is just crazy that this Foxconn project actually puts eminent domain back on the forefront. So Wisconsin wants to acquire about a thousand acres of land for this plant, but there are a whole bunch of homes there and the people who own those homes, they don't want to leave. And so now we're starting to hear stories about people, families in Racine County who owned small well-maintained family homes on the edge of the project and and they don't want to leave and 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 they don't want to sell they 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 you know they could probably live with the project but they'd probably be happier if the project wasn't in their backyard like so many people are um but people have to understand that property rights is one of the most important civil rights that we have and the government now they just want to come in and and because Wisconsin passed this law in 06 saying that they can't condemn a home that isn't blighted now the the local officials are coming in they're rezoning the land and they're saying oh sorry about that residential home doesn't doesn't conform with the with the zoning code anymore and then they can come back in and redefine any land, no matter how well-maintained, as blighted, and then they can take it away. And I, I, I warn people about this all the time because you, you should be worried about Foxconn. You should be worried about Wisconsin. And by the way, they're doing things like that here in Minnesota, too. But everyone should wonder, if the government can do this for Foxconn and in Wisconsin, whose home is next? Because you know what? Someone else's home is next, and it could be yours. So think about that. Uh, next up on my list of crazy, absurd, insanity, local, uh, out of control politicians, St. Paul says they're in a housing crisis and the city council has decided that they have to do something about it. And there was a big article in the Pioneer Press this past week, uh, talking about the, the, wide-ranging resolution that calls for action to create and preserve housing that is affordable at all income levels. Huge long story in the Pioneer Press about it. And let me tell you something. Not a single thing, not a single idea that they came up with is going to work. None of it is going to help the uh, their so-called housing crisis. It is not going to make my houses more affordable. And in fact, I'll predict it right now. They're going to make it worse. So with a vacancy rate of 2.4 percent, the city feels like it has to take decisive and wide ranging steps to fix it. And and well, that should be your first warning. That should be your first warning right there is that the minute city steps in to and I quote, address racial, social and economic disparities in housing and create infrastructure needed to stabilize housing for all in St. Paul. And they said part of this is to send a strong message to uh, the St. Paul mayor, Mayor Mayor, uh, Carter, to his office saying, guess what? We need lots more money, 
lots more money to fund the new housing initiatives, including a new staff member to focus exclusively on housing. So they've decided that they're going to do um, a whole bunch of different things, including funding an affordable housing trust fund to assist in the creation of of affordable housing and to renovate and preserve affordable housing that already exists. Okay, think about that. They're going to have a trust fund, read slush fund, and they're going to create new housing and they're going to buy and renovate other housing that already exists. I have told you over and over and over, over about this NOAA plan that they have out there, which is preserving naturally occurring affordable houses. So anytime something comes up for sale, the city gets first crack at buying it. Geez, what can go wrong? Everything they touch, they screw up. Every single thing they touch. Also, the city is going to create a down payment assistance program to help residents become first-time homeowners. Sorry, guys. Not everybody should own a home. And you know what? The, oh, and they're going to have an emergency repair fund so that they can, they can fund repairs, especially in rental properties, um, which, of course, later they'd turn around and charge the landlord for these, of course, they want the new the new uh, staff position to develop a fair housing strategy with a user friendly dashboard to track and report on outcomes, coordinate between departments, monitor housing landscape, scape, and propose programs and policies to improve the housing stock citywide. This is crazy, people. This is absolutely crazy, and it's only going to drive up the prices of the of housing in St. Paul, it's going to make it's going to make it even worse. Uh, it's going to make the problem even worse. If they'd eliminate some of their regulations and get the hell out of the way, the number one problem for affordable housing in St. Paul is how much it costs to own a home there. Crazy. And sadly I didn't get to my I didn't get to do that one in depth as much as I wanted, but I think people who don't really want to hear me talk about affordable housing for too long anyway. My other one, my last final one, and I, we're we're going to get to this next week cuz this has got to be addressed. What the hell is going on in Eden Prairie? Really Eden Prairie, what are you doing? Eden Prairie City Council adopt a climate inheritance resolution. Uh so the city council and the Eden Prairie youth joined forces to address climate change. The City Council adopted a climate inheritance resolution last Tuesday that outlines the Council's commitment to work with the youth of Eden Prairie to com- to combat climate change. I'm really sorry, people, but you have to read this article. It gets worse and worse and worse. And I, I'll tell you, you people in, in – we'll talk about this more next week um, – Eden Prairie, you throw the bums out. Throw your mayor out. Throw your city council art out. Start – over because it's crazy but next week twyla braze will be on we'll talk about um uh, obamacare we'll talk about her new book big brother in the exam room and i'm sure i'll have another long list of crazy local politicians that are doing stupid stuff they just they just drive me absolutely crazy it never ends stan it never ends Oh, my gosh. And you know what? I wanted to talk about Janice again, and I never got to that either. I could have spent an hour on climate change. Oh, well. Stay tuned. Stan's up next. He'll be awesome. You won't want to miss it. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.